All right, we are in week two of a three-week series um, called Disconnected, and we're, we're trying to focus on, we know in our best moments we want to stay connected to Christ. We want to be thinking about Him and, and blessing Him and serving Him as often as we can. And last week we talked about digital distractions can disconnect us from the Lord because we forget all about Him when we're so distracted. And this week we're going to talk about something else that disconnects us from the Lord, and that's impurity. And impurity real practically disconnects us from the Lord because we feel so guilty after impurity that we pull ourselves away from the Lord and we let the enemy whisper in our ear that how could we possibly go to church or pray when we're, when we're doing these things. And so I want to share with you today from Daniel chapter 1. So you can turn to Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to, it's a different context, but we're going to use this passage as an illustration because Daniel, having been exiled from Jerusalem, is now, uh, he's got this opportunity for defilement that if he just gives in and does what the captors say, even though it goes against the Levitical laws and the dietary restrictions, he'd be living the life. He'd be having all this amazing food and everything, but he chooses to honor God and avoid defilement and get real creative about that and, and make a stand, and God blesses him so much, and that's what God desires to do in our life. And so many of us have struggled or are struggling with, with purity, and I think that God wants to speak to us today about just the, the tremendous benefits of receiving that grace from him to walk in purity. And so I think this vessel to be practical for those that are, that are single, those that are dating, um, those that are tempted to kind of look at junk they shouldn't be looking at on screens, those that are married to keep you know, faithfulness in the marriage. I hope it connects with all these things. And so Daniel chapter 1. In verses 3 through 7, as we get started, we're going to see purity is under attack. Purity is under attack. Look at verse 3. The king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language of the lit- and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of the time they might serve before the king. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. And we see here the enemy's strategy. I mean, the king, the king of Babylon was very strategic in how he turned the enemy into loyal supporters and was able to use them for his purposes. And so we see this very deceitful recruitment strategy. And it's exactly what the enemy does today for us. He whispers lies in our ears and, and disciples us away from Christ. And so we see a few different things here. And we need to be grounded in the promises of God if we're going to not buy into these lies. First, in verse 4, look at how they're recruiting these men and, and, and women. They're saying, well, we're only picking the good-looking people. Well, that sure is a nice little compliment. Like, hey, we need you because you're good-looking. Finally. Finally, someone recognizes my beauty. I knew I was good-looking. I look in the mirror all the time. But finally, someone else sees it here. And the enemy does this today where he, he whispers in our ears and says, you know, only I understand you. And, and we, we notice that you know, especially young people kind of associate with these different subgroups where it's like, mom, only the skaters understand who I am. Only people that listen to this kind of music understand, only athletes understand who I am. And what we're saying is, you don't recognize my value, but these people say they recognize my value. Well, the truth from God's word that we need to fight against that lie is Romans 5, 8, where it says, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, 
He sent Christ to die for us. We're children of God. Our identity is in Christ. And praise God, we don't have to be good looking. Exhibit A. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he, he gives us our value and he recognizes, you know, that we're made in his image. Also in verse four, we see that the enemy infiltrates the media. It says that they taught them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And real practically, this is happening on an exponential scale today, right? It's not just politics that cause immoral laws to be enacted. Largely, it has started in Hollywood, you could say. Largely, it started by the TV we're watching, the movies we're watching, the music we're listening to, you know. It's in those situations, and you found yourself in those situations where you're watching a movie, and by the end of the movie, you're rooting for a character. Good, they finally are with someone that treats them right. Well, hold on. They just had an affair, and we're rooting for them. We're saying, yeah, but this person finally you know, treats them right. They had an affair. And, and subtly, our culture is changing from the media up, and so we need to be careful. We need to have a filter. We need to know what we should be watching and listening to and what we shouldn't be. Philippians 4.8 gives us a great filter. It starts out with the word whatever, and unfortunately, that's our filter sometimes, right? We're like, yeah, whatever. You want to go see that movie? Yeah, whatever. You no, know, it shouldn't be whatever. It should be only specific things that we're looking at. Philippians 4.8 goes on to say, whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, good, virtuous, and praiseworthy, those are the things we're to meditate on. I know the feeling of being really bummed out because an epic movie's coming out and I go and, and research it online first and there's nudity in it. I'm like, no, but it's a war movie. Why? Why, Why would that be in there? And, but not wanting to subject myself to that no matter, no matter what. We see in verse five that they, um, they put out the, the king's delicacies and the king's wine and they're like, hey, we, want to, we just want to give you what we give the king. Is that okay? And the lie is that we're going to find satisfaction with money, luxury, food, and we notice more and more of our budget is being spent on those things, maybe rather than the kingdom, the world will not satisfy. And, and the trends change, you know, and so it's like exponential, you know, money being spent on coffee or this or, or, or that. And we need to recognize our contentment needs to be in the Lord and good relationships with people. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? It doesn't matter if we accomplish what the world thinks we should accomplish in this life if we're forgetting all about God and, and the people of his house, right? In verse five, we also see that there was some really consistent discipleship. They trained them for three years. Three years invested in them. It wasn't just a three-month course or a one, one good sermon. For three years, Daniel and his buddies were being indoctrinated with what the Chaldeans wanted them to know. And, and we wonder why the stats are, are just terrifying as far as how many high school students walk away from the Lord in college. Insert Bible college plug here, it says. Right there. No, no. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's years of professors saying, no, God is not real. That's ridiculous. And, and giving the liberal ideas. And whether it happens in college or through the media, there's consistent training to pull us away from the Lord. So praise the Lord that Jesus spent three years with his disciples and that discipleship we know is something that can last a long time, not just change after a sermon, but, but walking together in this life as believers towards the Lord. And finally, we see in verse seven that they gave them new names. They wanted them to forget completely about their past. They wanted them to be unrecognizable and, and, and in a really bad way for us. The, the world never tells us like, hey, I want you to be a, a junkie, right? The enemy never says that, right? He, he says, ah, just try some alcohol, you know, try a cigarette, 
try some marijuana, try these pills, try, and then all of a sudden you're down a road and you're like, how did I become this person? I, people don't even recognize me anymore. And we wonder, you know, how, what, what kind of a transformation? Well, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his, that's his motto. That's what he wants to do. Jesus wants to give us abundant life. And so we've, we've got to recognize that Jesus wants to give us a new name too. In Revelation 2.17, it says that one day we will receive a new name written on a white stone. There's going to be this inside secret between us and God of what our real name is based on the characters that he's developed in us by his grace. One day we're going to know that name. My name won't be Andy in heaven to God. He's going to know this, this name that he wants to call me based on what he's done in my life. And so we've got to We've got to recognize these lies and fight against them. Purity is under attack is an obvious statement in our culture. As we look in Daniel 1 and verses 8 through 10, we see and learn that purity must be intentional. Purity must be intentional. Look at verse 8 with me. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's, the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and the goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who has appointed your food and your drink. Why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. And so Daniel makes this really creative stand um, before, before the eunuch and he makes this choice alone, right? It's a terrifying thing to take the first step alone in any category of life, let alone purity. But that's where the decision has to be made. We'd like it to be, hey, the whole church is on this boat heading towards purity. Oh, I'm sending my kid to youth group. We're all heading towards purity. But the truth is, is that not just outside of the church, but within the church, people are struggling with these things and we need to make our own decisions. I'm going to walk in purity. I'm, I'm going to make these changes myself. It's so important to be convinced yourself in this. When I um, had my first date with my now wife, Shannon, uh, we, I was in Jersey, she was in California, and so I, I flew out and I landed at noon and had to leave at 9 p.m. I was saving all my vacation days so I could only go on like the weekends because I had a feeling I was going to marry the girl, so I was like, I got to save my vacation days for our, our honeymoon. So I land at noon, surprising her for lunch. I'm going to meet her parents that, nice, that night so I don't think I'm a creep. Um, and so... I, I pop out of the car, hey, it's me, and she's so excited, and then all of a sudden, she's, I, I went in for a quick hug, I was like, she, she's putting her face really close to my face, she wants me to kiss her, and so I'm like, I had to, I had to and then she's, I'm like, hey, how you doing, it was like a cobra, you ever like do the cobra, you know, the cobra thing, and so I had to go for, in for all these defensive hugs, she's like, oh, he misses me, he was hugging me, I'm like, no, I'm afraid of what, I'll, what she will do, you know, so I'm like, so let's go to Red Robin, another hug, you know, and walk, walk in. Then there's a table between us, thankfully. And so, and so, and she's a godly woman, you know, she's walked in purity in, in her life, but she just thought it'd be a good idea for us to kiss. And so the end of that night, it's like 8 p.m. We're, we're almost on the way to the airport. And she goes, do you even like me? I go, what do I, I just flew across the country for like seven hours to hang out with you. Of course I, lo- I like you, you know? Well, then why don't you want to kiss me? I want to kiss you. <laughs> Of course I want to kiss you. I just think that we're making this massive decision and if we kiss, we're going to think, surely the Lord's in this because this feels good and so let's keep the physical out of it. Let's just decide based on spiritual things and, and personality if the Lord is calling us to this because anytime you get the physical involved, you get all confused and you think the Lord's in it. And she goes, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and so we committed to not, to not kissing and, 
And so she's a, she's a godly woman, but she wanted that kiss. And I had to decide myself that, you know, we're going to, we're going to hold hands, we're going to hug, but we're going to avoid that for now so we could stay focused. So purity is something that has to be intentional. And it's a decision you make by yourself. But the truth is, is that the decision for purity is always a group decision. Daniel's three friends joined him later and were so blessed by his boldness and they stepped up and then they joined in the blessing that God had in store for Daniel as well. And our friends, our future spouse, our future kids are all going to be blessed by the choice to walk in purity today. It's a blessing. You know, if you're, if you're married right now, it is a blessing to your kids for you to, to walk in purity in your marriage relationship and, av- and avoid adultery. That is going to be a strong blessing to you, to your kids. If you're single or dating right now, your future wife and kids are going to be blessed by that strength that you have right now. It's never just about me and my life because I'm joined to Christ. So at the very least, every decision I make is a group decision of two between me and Jesus. At the very least, because the Spirit of God is dwelling inside of me. Paul says it very blatantly in 1 Corinthians 6.15 when he says, Do you not know that, you, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? And then there's an emphatic no. No, absolutely not. And we don't think like that in the heat of the moment. When we're feeling you know, this, this passionate temptation, we're not thinking, this is going to be really awkward for Jesus as I'm bringing God into this situation. But the truth is, is that God is within us and he is everywhere. And sexual immorality is a physical statement that proves I'm forgetting my union with Christ. I, I forget about that. Paul goes on to say, you're not your own for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You don't get the whole heaven peace that surpasses understanding, spiritual gifts, all those things, but then, you know, you can live your life like a pagan, right? That's just, those things just don't work, right? We've been bought at a price, right? It was a very costly price that purchased us, and so our response in gratefulness is to say, you've gave everything for me. Surely I can walk after you, and by God's grace, he'll help us to do that, and so these decisions are against other people's wishes. The eunuch here feared the king, um, but Daniel feared the Lord, and so these, these decisions aren't popular. We shouldn't expect, even within Christianity, that they're going to be popular decisions, but they're so, so important. I like telling young people that are dating, that are talking about physical boundaries, to recognize a few things. And one of them is that we see in the scriptures that God comes against anything that gets between one of his children and himself. Right? And, and you see that a few times in the Bible. And so if this relationship that you're starting, that you're saying God is in it, God's calling us to this, if it's causing you to stumble into sexual immorality and now you're guil- in a guilty way, you know, walking away from the Lord and your, your relationship with him is, is harmed because of that, God's gonna come against that relationship. God, you can't say God is excited about our relationship when before you weren't walking in sexual immorality and now you are. It's just, it just doesn't make sense. So now you've got the God of the universe against your relationship. It's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work. Or at least you can't say God is excited about this. So keep God excited about it by walking in purity in that relationship. And so purity must be intentional. But we move on in Daniel chapter 1 to recognize that purity is a test of our faith. It's, it's a test as if we're going to walk after God. It's a test of our faith. In verse 16, or verse 11, it says, So Daniel said to the steward 
whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined. And so this is a test that we need to be ready for. I don't think it was an easy test. It's not easy. I mean, like, you go to, you go to a nice buffet. I just went to Golden Corral for the first time. There's a Golden Corral just built right down the street from us. So like our kids every day watched it being built. And so like, no matter what you think about Golden Corral, we had to go because our kids saw it being built. And we get there and they're giving us all this steak and there's all this meat. So you're obviously taking advantage of them and trying to eat all the meat and not eat all the fluff, you know, and, and enjoying it. It probably was not easy for Daniel to say, no, I don't want this meat and I don't want this tasty wine. But he did that because he wanted to honor the Lord. Purity is not easy, but it is possible. But we can make it probable with the decisions we make to walk with the Lord. So it's not easy. It's totally possible. It feels impossible sometimes, but it's possible. We can make it probable. And you do that by, by growing wherever you're at right now, by, by growing in that area. And so if you're single, your faithfulness as a single person will show itself in strength to resist temptations when you're dating. If you're dating someone right now, your faithfulness while dating that person to avoid impurity should be a great proving ground to, to the other person in saying, I'm also going to be faithful when we're married to not commit adultery. Well, I don't know why we don't think like that sometimes where we're in a, in a dating relationship and people are setting boundaries and crossing them all the time and there's all, there's all this lust and everything going on, but then they swear that when they're married, they're going to honor God, but they're not honoring God in that moment. Right? You see, you are who you are right now, and then we can beg the Lord to make us more like Christ. And so walk in faithfulness right now. Daniel just didn't turn on faithfulness. He'd been walking in faithfulness, and it showed itself strong during this test. And so we're going to pause from Daniel 1, and I just want to give five biblical thoughts on how we can pass the test for purity. So five biblical thoughts, and you can apply these to whether you're dating or whether you're married or whether you're you know, or dealing with um, you know, resisting looking at stuff on the internet you shouldn't be looking at. These can apply to all those situations. The first is this, actively pursue your love for Christ. You have to actively pursue your love for Christ. It's not just resistance, right? It's not just resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's draw near to God, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's, it's what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee also, also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. It's never just if I resist enough, I'll be okay. It's, it's I'm, going to, I'm going to be not doing these things. There's a vacuum in my life. I'm going to fill it with Christ. I'm going to read the scriptures more, pray more. I'm going to get together with believers. I'm going to serve the church more. Pursue righteousness. Don't just flee youthful lusts. And so the relationship goal of someone's dating should be edification. I'm going to encourage and edify this person and, and use my time to be a blessing to them for the Lord. So actively pursue your love for Christ. Number two, set boundaries that in your clearest moments for your weakest moments. So you don't decide on your boundaries when all of a sudden there's a passionate moment, right? You decide on your boundaries when it's just like a boring kind of a moment when there's, you know, you're away from each other. Paul says this in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's what a boundary is. A physical boundary is making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I'm not gonna put myself in a situation where this is even possible because we all think too highly of ourselves. It's just the truth. We think like, oh, I'm not gonna stumble in that way. That would be wrong. I'm, not, I'm never gonna put myself in that situation. No, recognize your weakness and build in boundaries away from that situation so it's never even an option. 
right? So you don't, you don't think like, oh, I can be in the room uh, with my secretary and it's going to be okay. No, just don't ever be in the room alone with your secretary. There, you just make it never even an option is, is what a physical boundary is. And so Shannon and I had, you know, these physical boundaries where we had committed to, you know, to not kissing or um, we weren't going to hang out after 10 p.m. For goodness sake, everything bad happens after 10 p.m. In 6,000 years of human history, nothing good has ever happened after 10 p.m. unless you were in a different time zone and it was actually before 10 p.m. All, all mistakes happen after 10 p.m. Get students away from each other after 10 p.m. Maybe a rule should be not being alone in a, in a room or a car together or having r- rules about exchanging photos digitally with each other. Um, Shannon and I, when we, were, when we were engaged, two months before we got married, she flew out to New Jersey and she was getting our apartment set up. So she was staying in our apartment. I was staying with my parents. And our rule was we'd never be in that apartment alone together. Why? Well, <laughs> She's gorgeous. Of course, I'm not going to do that if I, if I you know, pretended to be a Christian. You know, it's not, it's not going to happen. So, so we ended up running out of third wheels. You know, friends say, hey, come over. But the only reason you're here is because I want to hang out with my soon-to-be wife in this room. They're like, oh, thanks. Go purity. <laughs> Team purity. Uh, so we ended up sitting in a bench outside of the apartment complex. But this was right in front of the church we worked at. And so uh, we're sitting on the bench and church employees and members are always driving by honking. Hey, it's Andy and Shannon. Yeah, how you doing? Purity bench. You know? <laughs> And we would, we would just sit there publicly, like frustrated that we couldn't have some private time, but caring more about our purity than how comfortable the seat. It'd be much better to sit on the couch, but not for our purity. And so even when her dad came to visit, and uh, every time he would go down the stairs to get a bag you know, of the Walmart bags out of the car to bring upstairs, I'm like, oh, I'm coming with you. He goes, oh, I'll stay up here. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> Your daughter's beautiful. I can't. You know? And so you make those decisions, and you treat yourself like you are weak, and you end up finding strength and victory. Now, you're like, ah, I don't need boundaries. If it was our young, we got a young people crowd back here, right? Everyone turn and look at the, no, don't do that. The, uh, <laughs> the, the young people crowd usually, you think, ah, I don't need any boundaries. I'm strong. I'm strong. Listen, if the person who wants to date you doesn't want to talk about boundaries, there's only two options for that. Either they're a creeper. That's why they want to talk about boundaries because they want to take advantage of you. They're like, <laughs> so you're dating a creeper or they're just not that into you. They're like, ah, we don't need boundaries. I'm not attracted to you at all. Nothing will ever happen. Don't worry. So it's a, both are offensive. One's terrifying, one's offensive. They're a creeper or they're just not into you. If they think you're beautiful, then you need to talk about boundaries, all right? And so it makes, makes sense in my head. Third, you need to humble yourself and get an accountability partner. We all think we can do this on our own. Like, all right, I will find victory on my own. But usually it takes transparency and humility and confession to find victory. In Galatians, Paul says, that we should keep watch on ourselves, lest you be, you be tempted, but bear one another's burdens. Just ask somebody else, can you walk with me through this part of my life? This is an area I can really mess up. Help me. I need accountability. So for me, Pastor Patrick Farrell was the assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel Oldbridge. He hired me. He mentored me. So he was very invested in my life. And so he was my accountability partner, which is kind of terrifying because I mess up, he fires me, right? Uh, so I'd fly to California and he would ask me when I got back, like, so how'd it go? You know, did you keep your boundaries and all that? One time, Shannon, myself, you know, sit on a couch. Her whole family's in the room. Commercial break. Everyone leaves except for Shannon and I. I'm like, their kitchen's kind of far away. Upstairs bathroom's kind of far away. I started having all these wicked thoughts as if like a lion had creeped out of its cage at the zoo and found the gazelles. I was just looking at her, you know? And I was about to pounce on her, to be honest. Like, I just all these crazy thoughts. And, and she was feeling weak, too, so she'd give me googly eyes and... <laughs> So I'm sitting there, and I literally lean in to just attack her. Bzzz. I looked out at my phone. There's a single word on my phone from Patrick Farrell, and it's the word pervert. I'm like, ah! How did 
did he know? I know, but how does he know? The Holy Spirit's real. I believe in you, God. I'll never doubt you again. You're alive. And the family comes back, and I'm sitting on a different couch. They're like, oh, I guess they got in a fight. I'm like, you know, and that scared me straight. I'm like, don't touch me, woman. Stay away from me, you know? You need an accountability partner. That one helped me. Then he texted me. I was like, how did you know? He said, I just figured. I'm like, you figured I was a per... I'm a pastor. You know, this is a figure I'm a pervert, you know? And, and then he texted me every week for months, pervert. I'm like, stop, I'm not a pervert. <laughs> it's the worst thing you want someone to see on your phone, pervert. I'm not, it's just a joke, but it worked once. <laughs> Number four. Number four, treat girls like sisters and treat boys like brothers. That's how you can avoid a lot of this stuff. Paul told Timothy the same thing. He says, you know, exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and then he tags this on, with all purity. I mean, Paul's talking to a pastor, and he says, hey, when you're dealing with the younger women, with all purity, okay? I know they're beautiful, with all, with all purity there. Treat them like a sister, treat them like a brother. That's the only way you can get God, who is their father, excited about your relationship, is if, like Sol- Song of Solomon says, my sister, my spouse. Before you're married, you focus on the my sister element of it, and you encourage and you exhort, just like you would a regular sister, the Shulamite in Song of Solomon, the, this is the raciest book of the Bible, we're invited into a purity planning meeting that her brothers had. This is in chapter eight, verse nine. Here's what they say about when they're thinking about like, she's, she's, our little sister's beautiful. How do we keep her pure? It says this, if she's a wall, we'll build upon her a battlement of silver. If she's a door, we'll enclose her with boards of cedar. What are they saying? Like, listen, if she proves herself to be one that has integrity, she's like a fortress. Some guy tries reaching in and she slaps his hand, then we're going to know we can trust her. We're going to give her some freedom. We're going to bless her, you know, and and give her all kinds of great stuff. But if she's a door, which is the worst description ever for someone, right? If she's a door, then they're going to lock her down. They're going to put boards of cedar around. They're going to be like, oh yeah, you can go to the movies. One brother on one side of you, then you, then one brother, then, then your boyfriend, then another brother. You can go to the movies, sure. And they're going to put boards around her. They cared about her, and we need to care about the people we're dating as, as, as a sibling would care for them is a heart that would honor God, and then if he chooses to give you the spouse portion of it, then he can do that, but if not, then you've only honored them. So this is the only way we can get God excited about a relationship is if we're treating them like this. And then fifth, be intentional about guarding your eyes and your thoughts. We have to take our thoughts captive. Job says this. We get this amazing purity verse in a, in a book like Job. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? It's like, God's given me a wife. Why would I look upon? And so every day he'd get up and say, Lord, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Help me to look away. Help me to look away. And that's just something I wish that more would be doing right now is to look away. You know, the Bible college, we have 50% of our students from California, 50% from all over the country. So we get a really good survey of the spiritual health of our movement and of, of the generation as they all come here and we're, you know, we're asking them how they're doing and different things. Way too many Bible college students, and I'll just throw in people in the church in general, are looking at pornography. And then we, it's not our fault, they just, they just got there. We, we try and help them through that, but it is an epidemic. I'm talking about, you name the top 10 people that you respect most in, in life for their Christian values, and some of them are looking at pornography unless they're actively dealing with it. It's a disaster. It's ruining a whole generation, uh, you know, a whole nation of people. And so it's something that sh- would have shocked Paul. Paul said this in Ephesians 5, 3, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. 
See, there's none of this compartmentalizing thing and looking at junk and then coming to church and raising your hands. God wants all of us and he's willing to give all of us victory if by his grace we, we walk in humility, transparency, accountability, and, and want that victory. But it's when we hide and isolate ourselves that the devil has a field day. So I'm telling you, it's an epidemic and we need to be asking some tough questions of each other and then helping each other and bearing each other's burdens. So those are five ways that we can pass the test of purity Daniel's doing an amazing job here. And look at the results in in verse 17 back in Daniel 1. We see purity is effective and purity protects us. It's effective and it protects us. We'll start in verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine which they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus. Now you read that and one of the things you might pick up on is yeah, but what a bummer. Three years of vegetables, right? I know, <laughs> I know. But listen, it's, Paul even said, he says, listen, if, if meat sacrificed to idols, that doesn't stumble me because I know there's only one God and they're just sacrificing it to something that's metal. If that stumbles people, I'll never eat meat again. Like you, you lay whatever it is on the table, the gain that we get of purity and all the blessings of God is so much better than anything that we think we could have. The devil wants you to think the defilement is what is amazing, but you know what? Uh, you end up not even counting it as a cost, saying, uh, you can't see that movie? That movie was amazing. It doesn't even bother me because of what the Lord is protecting me from and what he's doing in my life, and it becomes such a joy just to follow the Lord. God rewarded their prayers for purity, their creativity, the stand that they took, and he made them so useful. Now God's got his people in the wisdom department of guiding the king for three generations. That's why I say purity protects you. Daniel was the one that remained for three different kings. He's the consistent factor between the Babylonian and the, and the Persian empire. Like this is stuff you study in history, the Babylonians and the Persians and how strong they were. And Daniel, one of God's men was there through all three of those kings. God protected him and used him and made him so effective. And as we're talking about a life connected to God and not wanting to be disconnected, we have to recognize that a life connected to God and purity, it's inseparable. That we want to separate it. We want to compartmentalize. It really really blows my mind uh, when when I find a, a Bible college student asking out another Bible college student and I know that they had just confessed uh, you know, to pornography a few weeks earlier, and they've compartmentalized it so much that they think they're ready to date now because they've made a few changes and we're only a few weeks past that you know, last time they fell into that sin. And so we hit it really strong in the Bible college and f- on Friday. So before I meet with you the next time, I'll tell every single girl at the Bible college in a, in a meeting, uh, I go there and I say, some guy starts kicking game and flirting with you. As soon as he says, oh, let's grab some coffee. I want to hear your testimony. You know what that means. He likes you. You pause and you say this really uncomfortable thing. When was the last time you looked at pornography? And if he says anything other than it's been more than six months, I'm so sorry, but I've, the Lord's given me victory. Six months is like the seed of lifelong victory. Uh, I still struggle once in a while is addiction. 
And so I, tell, I equip all the girls to ask that question, and then I go and tell the guys this Friday right afterwards what I just told the girls, and they're bummed out. And they're really ticked off at me, but then they begin to say, do you really believe that? I say, yes, yes, I believe that. Yes, you know, and so then we begin to walk with them through that, and it's, it's girls and guys that struggle with those things, but a life connected to God and purity are inseparable. I'm just saying that I'm not trying to condemn anyone and discourage anyone because of impurity in their life. I'm just saying God has an abundant life in store for us. There's even more joy, more satisfaction, more peace that God has for us. And he's willing not to overlook those sins. He's willing to help you have victory over those sins. And so I know this can be a painful thing to discuss and I, and I know the, the pain and the, uh, you know, from my own personal failure when I was in college. And the devil never mentions, as he, as he deceives you, he never mentions how bad the person you're actually going to love is going to hurt from your mistakes that you're making today. He talks all about the passing pleasures of sin. He's like, oh, you're going to love this. It's going to be amazing. Oh, God will forgive you. Don't worry. He talks all about the passing pleasures of sin. But how come Satan failed to mention that night when, when I lost my virginity at college, don't even remember it, I was so drunk. How come he failed to mention, one day you're gonna love one person so much, her name's Shannon, she's a sweetheart of a girl, been, God's been molding her, so one day you're gonna make her cry harder than she's ever cried when you tell her that you didn't wait for her. And you see, he overlooked that. He overlooked that. The devil is a liar. He's a liar that wants you to focus on passion in the moment, even though it will steal, kill, and destroy And one day, early enough in the relationship where she could break up with me if the Lord had told her she was going to marry a virgin or something, then early enough in that relationship without manipulating her, I confessed that while it had been years of walking in purity, that there was a terrible season at college where I was just out there partying and doing whatever I wanted. And then I watched this girl that I fell in love with ball her eyes out. And then those tears became tears of forgiveness as the Lord gave her permission to forgive me and, and she forgave me. It doesn't mean it didn't cause pain in her life and then she didn't have all these crazy thoughts that she, that's selfish. It was selfish of me to live like that in college. I was thinking of me, not my future wife, not my beautiful three kids that I have. The devil leaves all of that out. So I, I know the pain. And then through accountability and the church, I was able to walk, you know, for, for years after that and, and grow and become more Christ-like. So she was able to have the confidence in saying, oh, that wasn't last week. That was years ago. God's given you a new heart and a new life. But listen, by God's grace, we can be forgiven. But by God's grace, he won't be mocked. That's not how it works. You don't say, okay, I'm going to keep walking in my sin and then get the forgiveness. No, that's mocking God when you map out what life should be like that involves you holding on to your sin forever. But if we sincerely confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness And then he can help us to claim that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus because the punishment's already been given out. Jesus took that punishment for us and it satisfied the Father's wrath. And now God has covered us in his blood and the Father sees us as perfect like Jesus. And here's how Jesus treats those that are in sexual immorality that are repenting. John 8, the woman caught in adultery. People are picking up stones. He says, if you've never sinned, you can throw the first stone. Everyone walks away and he looks at her and says, neither do I condemn you but go and sin no more. He didn't say, neither do I condemn you. Live your life how you want to live it. No, he says, I'm, I'm giving you tremendous grace right now. Mercy that is undeserved. You should be dead from this crowd. It would have been a legitimate action under the law. You're receiving mercy, but now out of gratitude, go and sin no more. God is more than happy to help us get past these sins, sins and he's going to say, go and sin no more. 
And it's going to be struggle, and sometimes we fall, and we get up, we fall, and we get up. We never give up on God. We keep pursuing him. But if we are sincere, there is victory in store for every person here. And so I'm telling you, you, you think like, oh, the pastors are busy. The elders and deacons, they're, they're busy. Ah, oh, that women's ministry leader, she's busy. I, I know. I know the pastors here. And, and whatever meetings they have scheduled this week, they, they might need to cancel those meetings if it means so many people in this room say, no, I want to be done with this forever. And I want to walk in victory. And they have to set up all these one-on-one counseling appointments. And we'll push some other th- things aside so that you guys can be ministered to. That's the heart of the, the, the pastors here. I know it. And the Lord probably already told you that you need to confess this. You need to humble yourself. And it doesn't have to be a, a staff member that you do that to. It could be a family member or someone that just, that just loves you that's a friend. But let's, let's be the body of Christ and minister one to another. And let's walk in purity because that's what's fitting among the saints. And there's great joy in store for every person here. There's no addiction too strong that God can't give victory we're his children. He knows we're weak. He knows we're just dust. And he's going to help us and forgive us along the way. We just got to keep sincerely pointing ourselves towards him.